Hello, Zero Books readers and viewers. You're about to watch an interview with Levite Moss, a mental health responder working on Skid Row. In the parent room discussion, Levite joins me to explain why she considers me to be an edgelord and uh, why I deserve to be canceled. I'm sure that everything she said there was just in jest, and it will be a fun time, so check that out. Very juicy. But for now, uh, this interview is with Levite about her work as a mental health responder with the most vulnerable population in Los Angeles. Skid Row emerged in the 19th century. The construction of America's railroads provided the context for the name. Transient or seasonal workers, often immigrants, worked on skid roads made out of logs. These were used to transport other logs that would be transformed into railroad tracks. The skid roads made it easier to roll these logs down muddy streets. In Los Angeles, the area where the rail lines that connected Southern California to the rest of America became known as Skid Row, was an area that was soon filled with brothels, bars, single residency occupants, hotels, and missions that served these transient railroad workers. But this part of Central City, East Los Angeles, fully emerged as a place for the city's homeless population during the Great Depression. Creation of a neighborhood meant to both contain and serve LA's destitute population was a consequence of both the immiseration of working people during the Depression and of the progressivist assumptions that permeated the New Deal. That is, the assumption that the state could reconcile social justice with capitalism and overcome poverty without changing the mode of production of society, without even any attempt to substantially redistribute the wealth, along with capital's need for what Marx would call a reserve army of the unemployed, helped to create the conditions you see on screen. The death of God is about the drying up of a horizon of meaning and of a whole form of human life. Where do we stand in the illusion it makes? What kind of space are we invited into? The material relations between people become social relations between things. When we look at toasters, corn, and TVs, we don't we see... We still, to a large extent, live in the interregnum between between worlds, if you will, or between paradigms. Not many people in the history of the world have faced that. Zero Squared is the Zero Books podcast. Hi, Levite. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. You work on Skid Row. Uh, you're a first responder. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. We respond to crisis um like first responders on skid row but then we also do uh something called the outpatient conservatorship pilot where we do more long-term assessments to see if people are able to survive in the community so a, a crisis response would be like a, a 51 what in california is a 5150 which is a 72 hour hold Mm -hmm. uh, which is um, like in the moment, are you a danger to yourself? Are you a danger to others? Or are you um, known as something, uh, the criteria here called grave disability, which is just that you lack ability to care for yourself as a result of your mental health uh, condition. Mm -hmm. Conservatorship is a year long 
um, and it is for people who are specifically gravely disabled. There was, their mental illness does not allow them to access care on any level. Does um, it sometimes start out that you're doing a crisis intervention and then it turns into a long-term conservatorship? It can. It can. For us, though, so we can't launch our conservatorship when we first meet somebody. However, if they go to the hospital and the psychiatrist there is like, this is person's not getting better, mm -hmm. um, they can do that. But for us to do the conservatorship application, it can take months. Like we have to actually, it's, it's as it should be, right? It should be mm -hmm. something that takes a long time. You shouldn't just be able to be like, this person needs to go in right. um, for a year. So we have to prove over multiple times that this person is not getting well, they're, you know, street treatment's not working because we do treat people from the street um, and nothing seems to be working for this person. What we should point out is that you often enough, I'm not sure if exclusively, but you often enough are dealing with a homeless population. 100%. 100%? You're, yeah. You're, so like you're not ever called to someone's apartment or single a residency occupancy room or anything like that or we do yeah but not when um if we house a client there then yeah but i think because i told you i also work for the crisis team right okay thing so the crisis okay. team we work as first responders like countywide mm. in multiple settings not just on the street um so that you can be anywhere and we get calls from family members schools hospitals mm. But that's a separate job. That's like your part-time job on the side. Right. Yeah. And so uh, the thing about your primary job is that you work on Skid Row, which is Correct. a really kind of unique place in Los Angeles. Right? right. It's um like a permanent homeless village or, or something like that. It's been there for a long, long time. Right. Um, uh, so, well, just to, you know, in your own way, describe what, what do you think of Skid Row as being? Like, how do you think of Skid Row? Uh, it's a war zone. It's like, um, it's, uh, you know, we call it in our office. Um, that's, everyone knows I call it, I say it's the refugees of capitalism, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a war zone. It's like nothing you've ever seen. The UN actually came in and said that this was like, the poverty you would see in developing nations. Like it's mm -hmm. like completely unacceptable that the United States even has poverty like this, which we all know, like, of course we do, but mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very shocking because um, it's not, it, it's not like just tent cities. It's people literally lang languishing and just dying on the street and you can walk over their body basically. Like it's, mm -hmm. um, it's violence. It's like, open like open air drug markets it's sex trafficking sex work both mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and um it's just it's very sad there's children yeah. there's elder, a lot of elderly people i mean how did you decide to start working in that environment were you assigned to that did you pick that out i picked it <laughs> i just i i I just always wanted to be where I felt like the most vulnerable people were. And I worked in the jails um, and I hated it there. It was um, 
working under the LA County Sheriff's Department was a nightmare. Um, did not do well. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I worked and I did the crisis team full time, which I really did like, but it's, uh, you know, it's hard to being a full time crisis responder because you never know when you're coming home, which is a hard life. And then um, I just said, you know what, this is like the, I just said, how can I like, I basically was said, where can I go from here? That's even more extreme. Uh, had you been to Skid Row? Like, had you seen it before you were working it? Yeah. Um, like, it's a big part of like social work education in LA. If you um, are a social worker in Los Angeles, you've probably taken a tour of Skid Row. You've learned about it in school. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's also like downtown LA. So like I showed, like, there's lots of interesting, fun activities to do there. There's like bars and restaurants. So of course everybody has seen it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a different experience working in it and walking through it than like driving through it to get to wherever it is that you want to go. Um, but, um, everybody, everybody has seen Skid Row for sure. Most people in Los Angeles, unless they just don't leave their house, have seen Skid Row. Right. Even people yeah. who live out in Malibu or somewhere like that have seen Skid Row. Yeah, because, I mean, most people have been to downtown. So mm-hmm. um, if you ever go downtown, it's kind of unavoidable. You saw it. Yeah. So. Before I called you up, I was looking at the Wikipedia article about Skid Row. And it's amazing right. to see how long something like it has been there. I guess it was originally... a an area for transient seasonal workers to find residence um, like in the 19th century, in the late 19th century. And by 1930, it was filled with about 10,000 homeless alcoholics and mentally ill mm-hmm. people already. How did that area develop that way? How can there be this permanent location, semi-permanent location for the most destitute and desperate people? Um, well, I think it was like a containment policy, right? Where mm. they just wanted, this is where we're, the people who are, you know, having the hardest time in their life will go. Like, and that's why it's a really service rich area, meaning like there's like, you know, anything you could ever need <laughs> um, if you are a person experiencing homelessness, supposedly, right? Um mm. There's free medical clinics, there's mental health, there's um, food. Um, It's very dysfunctional and doesn't really work, but that was the idea. But now it's different too, because the gentrification of downtown is really like condensing Skid Row even more. So Skid Row used to be a little more sprawling and now it's like much more condensed. And that's because... um, people moving in don't want to see it, um, but they also don't want to address it. So it's like this really great, um, you know, double-edged sword or whatever. And they're so actually moving. How does that accomplish through policing or uh, Yeah, yeah, both. So um, there was a, I mean, it was a national story. Judge Carter um, came in and basically said, all of these people must be housed, which sounds good. Like it sounds like, we are really taking a stand and saying, you know, you must provide housing for everybody here and there will be nobody on the street. That was basically what the decree said. Um, but if you looked at it a little more closely, it was 
backed by like the downtown business commission and the downtown homeowners association, basically mm-hmm. um, to, cl- to clean up Skid Row. They did a similar project in a neighborhood here called Echo Park, where they basically just displaced people. Um, people, you can't just pick people up off the street and put them in housing. Um, you need, they need appropriate housing for whatever their needs are. A lot of people are too sick to just be in an apartment. Aside from the fact that like, there's a housing crisis here. So like, what are you even talking about? Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of it, it's, it's a process and the process, the bureaucracy of the process of housing needs to definitely end. However, like there is the truth to the fact that not everybody can handle housing in the same way that like, I don't know, you were, I could handle an apartment. Obviously people are very sick. People are ill. People require different levels of care. And that didn't seem to uh, bother the judge or he, he even thought about it. Um, so what it really looked like was enforcement. If you don't accept housing, you will be arrested or displaced, which is what happened in Echo Park. And people are still missing. People literally don't know where these people went. Mm-hmm. I do think they went to Skid Row, actually. So I think we got more people from Echo Park. And then a lot of people went out to Palmdale, which we drove through to the desert, which is just like nothing. There's no mm-hmm. services there. It's so just as long as people are out of sight, out of mind. I don't think that anyone actually cares. But the judge was actually, his ruling was over, I'm not sure the the legal term, but like overturned, they, they can't because it's completely unenforceable and unethical. So, right. It's not the first time that they've tried to do that in Skid Row. At, no, we're, we're looking it's at not. Wikipedia. It's like there was, a, I think in the 70s or 80s, there was a an effort to just go and arrest anyone who was uh, ho- homeless um, in Skid Row and, and that that was stopped by advocates for the homeless and yeah yeah. that's like a cycle so sometimes it depends it's like the court of public opinion um it's similar to like broken windows policing which we Mm -hmm. know is like just terrible so 10 years ago in la we had something called the safer cities initiative which i named the safer shitties initiative (laughs) which was a similar thing where it would basically criminalize homelessness where you would, uh, you know, be arrested for brushing your teeth in a public bathroom or loitering or, you know, crimes associated with homelessness. And now they went the complete other, the complete other direction. And now they're trying to go back to that. So that's like something that swings back and forth mm-hmm. all the time. For you, said something that's worth pointing out, um, that it's not simple to get someone a uh, house, even if you had the apartments for them, even if there were government housing available for everybody on skid row. Um, a lot of people would be unable to maintain themselves in, a, in such situation. Not that they're maintaining themselves that well on skid row, but they just don't have, I guess, hygiene habits or ability to just feed themselves or keep clean enough to survive or whatever. And if they were put in an apartment, it would be something that they would get bounced out of. Is that right. not right? So my question is, like, how many of the people on Skid Row are there primarily because of mental health issues from the start? How much of it is poverty 
that leads to a mental health crisis? And can you distinguish between the two? And how, how much of um, your job involves tracking down people's history? The population I work with, particularly, mm. they definitely can't handle being in their own apartments. Um, right. They really do require a certain level of custodial care that's probably a lifetime Mm-hmm. Um, or at least a long period of time where they can stabilize and um, recover and then start, you know, learning to live independently. Um, but, you know, I arbitrarily, like it's because I don't know, like the statistics off the top of my head. Um, there's all different types of people there for different reasons. There's people there who are there because they fell on hard times and are destitute. I've seen people walk out of tents. This happened a lot in fast food uniforms. So like living on Skid Row, working, living in a tent because they can't afford the rent in the city, right? Wow. So that, you know, that's some people. Are there places for them to shower and things like that on Skid Row? Yeah, yeah, there there are. I mean, it's just a horrible situation to be in. It doesn't mean that yeah. like, oh, they're getting their needs met on Skid Row. It's not like that. Not right. Like, yeah, yeah, but like, yes, technically – they, there are like horrible places to shower that you would never want to go to. Um, uh, you know that, so there's that group of people that are just people that have fallen on hard times that are, are just having a really hard time. Um, and then there's people who, um, you know, there's like a cycle of, of, of poverty, um, because there's children there, they grow up there and then they age out of the foster care system and then they end up back there. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of trauma, mental illness. Um, there's a lot of people who, you know, use drugs. Um, that is obviously some, some, most of them are self-medicating. We know mm-hmm. that, right? Um, that there's people who have like such extreme mental illness, like the population that I work with, which is a little bit different, meaning like, you know, they don't clear up. Um, they remain psychotic, even when medicated, right? Um, and those people cannot live in their own apartments. Um, I just, I wonder with those people, um, in the past, let's say before Reagan, would they have been in state hospitals? Do you think? Many of them come from state hospitals. Like we have a lot of elderly clients that were previously in state hospitals. It's just, this is where they ended up. Hmm. And um, there was no aftercare for them once they were um, uh, released. So uh, there are a lot of people that that were that are like still suffering. Um, and not that those state hospitals were good, but like we do, you know, we right now I, I've told you before, like there's no health, mental health infrastructure anywhere in this country. Like just hmm. we have like crisis stabilization. And then if you're willing and you have insight into your mental illness, there's help for you if you want it. But the, 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 the people that I serve will, you know, don't have that insight and don't have that ability. Um, I've seen them get that ability for a long time stabilization. Um, but those beds are, we're, we triage them. Like who is more sick? Mm-hmm. Like, I think I told you, I had a client who was, eating feces like that's and because of his delusional thoughts right mm-hmm. he thought he had that that gave him powers and in the meeting when we were discussing his case the response i got was well how dangerous is eating feces really <laughs> you right. know like so 
the triage of the very limited resources that we have is brutal. Right. Um, okay. So obviously there's a major crisis for the people who you are dealing with. What percentage of the people on Skid Row are close to being the kind of, I mean, I guess you probably don't have a percentage, but what would your guess be as to how many people who are on Skid Row are, you know, near the, the point where someone like you is needed for them? The people, the people that we serve are probably, they're not, not as many. Um, it's not as many as you think there's more people in between. Thank goodness. Um, mm. You know, but we don't, we can't even meet the needs of those people. There is a higher level on Skid Row for sure than in the general population. However, it's still not the majority of Skid Row. Right. Um, I just Skid remember Row driving community. around and looking out the window and seeing a, a woman who was using a caution tape as a bra and walking around in her underwear. And she didn't seem to me to be cognizant of much. She right. seemed really, really out of it. Um, right. Like she looked to me like someone who might need to be, I don't know, put on a 72 hour hold or what, but something needed to be done to intervene in this woman's life. Uh, there's another fellow who was dancing to music only he could hear. These are just two of the things that I remember seeing. Um, as I, I mean, I assume that's the case. Maybe there was some music I didn't hear, but that really was playing. But no, it did seem to me that people were living in very, very, I mean, obviously they were living in terrible conditions and many people seem to be, I would say, a little bit out of their head uh, as we just drove around. But maybe that's because you were pointing them out to me because you kind of have your eye out for for these people. I mean, there are a lot of people like that on Skid Row, but the question is, like, it's really complicated, which is why you can't just run around removing people's autonomy, right? Right. So, like, are they like that because they're high on meth? Are they like that when they're not high on meth? Mm. Are, does that does that does that presentation continue after they're on meds and they're stable? How would you I mean, determine that? You would you would write a fifty one fifty hold, and then you would see. Um, but the triage in the hospital is so brutal too that a lot of our clients get kicked out before they even have we even know. So like, it's it's really hard. Um, and because the, there's three public hospitals in all of LA County, which is huge. And those are the only places that take our people. Right. So most of our clients are indigent. Um, they don't have insurance or they have shitty like Medi-Cal um, can't bill for that. Nobody wants to serve this, this population. So I, I talk shit about the County hospitals, but I also have a lot of empathy and understand that like the triage is really brutal. Mm -hmm. um and they have to make you, you know they were triaging ventilators right and they were like well yeah. you're young you should get this ventilator like they do that with mental health beds all the time which is that like well you know you're just more sick than this person you're you know you're eating your shit and you're just mumbling in a corner like who are we going to give this bed to right so mm -hmm. um or a lot of times it's like you're being violent right so we need to put you in this bed um, and then it turns out maybe that person is, you know, high on meth and actually is able to calm down. And then the person who is more quiet and subdued psychotic gets kicked out immediately because they just don't have time to triage that. Right. So mm -hmm. it's really brutal the way that we delineate mental health services. So I guess I have to keep coming back to this question. It's like if we had a system where I, mean, I, I just think about how. Skid Row started 
it was an area for transient seasonal workers, residential hotels. And within, I don't know, let's say 50 years, it became overrun with alcoholics and homeless people, mentally ill. Right. So it seems like there's got to be a connection between being precariously employed <laughs> and poor and ending up mentally ill. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, just uh, like observing that trauma, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, I think the very, like, act of being homeless, the very, the very experience of being homeless could make anybody mentally ill. Like, if, even if you were mm -hmm. down on your luck when you went there, like, give it enough time and it, it will, you know, reparably damage your mental health for sure. The trauma of the things that happened to you and maybe poor nutrition, drug abuse. Oh yeah, absolutely. Not being able to sleep. I always yeah. tell clients when, when I see them indoors for a long time, it's like the transformation or not even a long time, a couple days transformation is like astounding. There's color in their skin. Like, you know, they look, like a different person. It's, uh, it's, it's wild. And they will spend years out there. And then just a couple days indoors can be like a transformative experience. Sometimes we meet people that we think like, oh, this person needs conservative. We looks like they might need conservatorship. And then we are able to outreach and engage them. And turns out like they're amenable to treatment and treatment works for them. And then we're able to put them indoors. And then we're able to lower them to a a level of care that isn't quite as like severe as what our team does. Right. Cause we don't know when we first meet somebody, we're mm -hmm. just kind of looking at them going, okay, this person looks really ill, but we don't really know the trajectory of their illness. So, but you know, being in the hospital or being inside, whatever it is, like it's, it's, a, it's, uh, makes a huge difference. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's, it, I've seen people make full recoveries where you think like, Oh my God, this person there's, you know, how can they get better? Like I, I, they're so psychotic and then they go indoors and like, it's, they sleep and they're a different person. So right there, that tells you a lot. It tells you that the conditions that we force people to live in will have a tremendous impact on their mental Absolutely. health. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys work with, <clears throat> or are you, I mean, I, I know you are working with people who are trying to do kind of more preventative measures around skid row trying to provide good in, a good environment or trying to help people with jobs or just get them food mm -hmm. but how closely knit is the community of responders on skid row and how much communication is there between the different types of organizations nonprofit governmental so it depends there's a lot of like what's the word i'm looking for turf wars which sounds horrible but it's true and i think people mm -hmm. in social services know that um you know, we, there are organizations that we work with that we work really closely with. Like I've talked to you about Sidewalk Project, uh, mm -hmm. which is a mutual aid organization that a friend of mine runs. Yeah, it's you amazing. Have a yeah, yeah. They do like needle exchange and harm reduction, and obviously we serve a different population. But she is really good at knowing, like, okay, I need to, I need to make a referral to Levite because this person is obviously more than needs more than just clean needles and wound care. Mm -hmm. This person needs like really severe psychiatric treatment. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, there's other people, so like we help each other, but there's definitely organizations that specifically the missions, because there's a lot of like uh, Christian organizations down there that, um, you know, we kind of have different views mm -hmm. on um, how we serve the community. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, so, you know, there's definitely, and I mean, obviously I, I forgot the biggest one, which would be the police. Um, right. that are down oh, there, yeah. Um, you know, who really see things very differently than we do. And we, you know, I've been told by police to my face, um, police officer stopped us said, are you guys mental health? And I said, yes. And he said, you know, you make my job really difficult. Um, the, uh, the least compassionate thing you can have on Skid Row is compassion. And all you're doing is perpetuating a cycle of like dependence, you know, some libertarian bullshit. I mean, even paramedics have really, um, there's like this, uh, really disdain for the populations they serve and, mm -hmm. um, uh, between fire and paramedics. And that's probably the organizations that we have the most difficulty working with. But you do work with them. You have to work with them. We right? have to. We have to. There's no like, choice. Yeah. I mean, explain why you have to work with the cops for what you do. Um, because they um, are the enforcement part of the the involuntary hold, right? So there's only so much I can do as a clinic mental health provider that um, when someone's in a crisis, and I mean, you saw it yourself. You know, this isn't somebody where it's like, going to get, you know, I can try and deescalate them all I can. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, when it doesn't work and the client person becomes violent or agitated, um, I don't have a choice. And when we use police, it's to enforce the hold. And when I say enforce, I mean, hey, I'm a man in a uniform or woman <laughs> telling you, you have to get on this gurney because this is an involuntary hold. When I say, you know, hospital gurney, um, mm -hmm. sometimes I have to cuff them because of safety reasons and it sucks. Um, mm -hmm. But that is sometimes the only way we can get people to the hospital. I think people don't understand. I know that that that's, it really upsets people when they see mental health out with police. It upsets me too, but it is part of the job. And most of the time when, when police get there, their response is, we're not helping you do mm. this yourself. So, really? oh yeah. Like I've literally had cops tell me, this is your problem. You deal with it. And I'm like, okay, you know, so you're not even going to say they let my client walk right by them. They don't even say, Hey, you know, you're on a hold. You have to go to the hospital. Um, I've left people, um, who are really sick that, you know, when you follow up, you know, they end up missing afterwards, um, our rapport is destroyed. And then we don't even know what happened to them because police wouldn't assist. Um, you know, are they breaking the rules when they do that? I have to tell them their own policy all the time. Every officer comes in for some reason. Um, they literally don't have any sort of uniform policy with what they do at all. And it's normally the same, same spiel every time, which is your criteria is different than mine. No, it's not. That's not true. Um, this is a, uh, a legal criteria for the state of California, 5150. Um, your criteria is the same as mine because what's really crazy is that law enforcement officers can write these holds. Um, mm. So they will come to me and tell me, well, we disagree with your opinion and i will tell them i didn't ask your opinion you're not a mental health professional it's your opinion is irrelevant each each officer has their own idea of what they are there to do there's no uniform policy um and 
you know, a lot of times when you're standing there fighting with the police, the, the client will disappear, you know, right. um, they, they would rather arrest people than get them to the hospital. It's easier. I, I was attacked by a client, um, punched in the jaw. And um, I wrote a hold for this person because I knew they were really sick. This person mm -hmm. is now conserved, not by us, but by the hospital. And um, uh, and the response I got from police was, well, she doesn't meet criteria for a hold. This is what they said, um, even though I had written it and I was the one who was hurt. Um, mm -hmm. She doesn't meet criteria for a hold. Uh, but if you need her arrested, we'll arrest her. <laughs> yeah, if you want to press charges for assault. Yeah, which her. was like, but that's like completely counterintuitive to what I was trying to do. Right. Um, and they even said, well, yeah, she needs her medication. And I was like, okay, thank you, doctor, police officer. Like, <laughs> duh. Like, that's what we're trying to do, you know? Right, right, right. So like, um, and she, you know, and she ran away, of course. Um, so, you know, police are really difficult to work with. And people think that like, we like it. It's, it's part of the job. We have to do it. I detest it. I wish that I don't know. Like I, I always say the police officers, the job, of the police officers doesn't, the, the job that they want doesn't really exist. Right. Like mm -hmm. they really want to be out there like fighting bad guys and like getting like, you know, the, I don't know, the, the murderer. But the truth is, is that's like not what their job really is because that's very, you know, these kind of, extreme crimes these violent crimes are not the majority of what they do the majority of what they do is they answer calls for domestic violence and mental health right. two things they don't want to do um so they either need to like get a new job <laughs> or understand that like you're not out there like fighting crimes you're out there and most of the crimes that they are like fighting are crimes of survival right so like mm -hmm. people who are using people who are you know living in poverty people that do things as a result of their mental health condition. So like their job doesn't even actually exist. Well, I mean, every once in a while someone gets murdered and sure. Columbo and Columbo has to go in. <laughs> exactly. <I've> <laughs> um, but yeah. So it sounds like to me that you want the cops to be, it's not like you want them to go away. You just want them to obey their own rules and be more professional and professionalized maybe uh when they're working with you so that they can they can do their job effectively right because is that right do you think well i i do hate them and i do want them to go. i want <laughs> i wish we just had like all new ones i do i wish that police wants you to think that their job is the most important job in the world they should fucking act like it mm -hmm. right like i think you need a complete overhaul of what police are and what their job descriptions are and what they do and um like just a minimal level of training and education like i mean you want you want skid row to go away ultimately you'd like to, have to do a different job but in the job that you have given the conditions you have your your primary problem with the police is not that they're cops but that they're so poorly trained uh and and have the wrong attitude about what their job's supposed to be about correct yeah um but also that they're cops <laughs> okay. you're a good you're a good leftist levy i applaud you for thank that thank you <laughs> thanks for watching this zero books video if you enjoyed it subscribe to this channel and click on the notifications bell 
so that you'll be alerted whenever we release a new video. You should also consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get access to our Inside Zero Books podcast every week and can get access to the Zero Books Book Club and help us to continue making online content from the left.